I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Okay, Jam, I'm really excited about today's episode, but it's also a little bit off the cuff, maybe, is a okay. good way to put it. Interesting. I was going to, I was trying before you actually said what you're going to say. It's just a little bit. I was like, what could it be? What's a word she's going to say? I was, my hypothesis in those milliseconds was scary that you were going to say it's a little yeah, bit scary. It is kind of scary actually, because I feel like I didn't get as definitive of an answer as I wanted. Huh? And sometimes that's scary to come, even as a chemist with a PhD, I really am committed to giving good information. And sometimes I get scared that maybe it's not, not the best information or should I just wait on this until there's more information. But I decided to just bring y'all along with me nice. because it's an interesting topic. Okay, cool. So it's back. like, here's an interesting question. Here's what we can find out about it right now. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So, or what I can find out about it right now. Right. So today's episode is about what happens to hot coffee when it cools down. Oh, and it's inspired. Inspired. <laughs> it's inspired by a viral TikTok. Where a coffee roaster is trying to explain that, like he, a uh, girl asked, why does cold brewed coffee taste good or iced coffee taste good, but hot coffee tastes bad when it cools down. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so he does a thing called stitching where basically you just respond to it and he explains it. And by the way, guys, she was explaining the TikTok stuff for my benefit. Y'all probably are like, we well, you know how it works. Okay. Right. Jam doesn't know how it works. I don't know how it works. Jam's not on the... The TikTok, which is honestly a blessing because TikTok's kind of a time suck. And I heard it's on the phone, uh, the phone screens. Yeah, it's on the phone screens. Yeah. yeah. So that's where I found it on my little phone screen box. I kept meaning to look into those. I've heard that they're really cool. <laughs> Stop. He does have a phone. <laughs> <laughs> if you're like, how is he on one hand, like producing this podcast and like editing it and all that stuff. And on the other hand, doesn't even know what a phone is. <laughs> it's like, Sometimes I do think I'm just going to get a dumb phone and let it simplify my life a little. I have considered that too. My younger brother did that for a while. Did he like it? He did. And he goes back to it frequently. Like, I mean, depends kind of on the mm -hmm. season. There's times where he'll be like, man, I got to go back to my dumb phone. Yeah. But and so I never know. I text him. I, won't, I don't know until the bubble either turns blue or green. When I text him. <laughs> That's funny. And then it's like, oh, okay. It's back to dumb phone. <laughs> okay. So what this coffee roaster said about why hot coffee tastes bad when it cools down is what he said was essentially there are these molecules called lactones and they break down into acids. And he says a few other things about like the way our taste buds react to different temperatures. Mm -hmm. But I heard the part about the lactones breaking down into acids and at first I was like, that makes sense. That is a reaction that happens. And then I thought, but I'm not sure it would happen in those conditions. Okay. So I truly spent hours <laughs> researching this because I couldn't find anywhere in the coffee chemistry or food science world, anyone who said the same thing that he said. And the problem is there's a lot of chemistry that looks into different rose temperatures. Mm -hmm but not the different temperatures of the coffee itself. You know, if we roast it this way, what compounds are present? If we roast it this way, what compounds are present? Mm -hmm. There was a lot of that, but there was not a lot of same roasting, same brewing method. Let's mm -hmm. watch it as it cools down. There wasn't a lot of that. So I actually have seen 
a study that was done. It's kind of funny that like, obviously once you go into the realm of coffee, there's yeah. a chance that I would see this kind of stuff <laughs> where it wasn't quite what you're talking about, but it was just the idea of the sensory experience for yes. um, coffee drinkers and what the experience is like and why it's different de- depending on how the coffee was brewed and what temperatures being drank. At. Yes. So cold brew or iced coffee, those different, different ways of doing that versus hot coffee that's cooled mm-hmm. down. And, um, one of the several like different coffee newsletters I received. Yes. Uh, I saw something about that, which it sounds like it's in a similar thing, but not quite the question you're. Yes. So, uh, I think I saw that same one where it's like hot brew versus cold brew kind of thing. Yes. Yes. So there was a lot on that. I could find like hot brew versus cold brew. And then also we can talk about this more at the end, but to a degree, the temperature can affect your sensory experiences. So just like yeah. literally your taste buds function differently at different temperatures. Yeah. We could talk about that later too. Um, but what those articles looked at was more how the sensory experience changed and not why. Right. Really. Right. Or they there were some that looked at why they were different, you know, the chemistry difference at the molecular level between hot brew and cold brew, but it, what was specifically hard to find and what specifically I was looking for was hot coffee that had cooled down. What has happened at the molecular level between those two coffees? Right. What's going on at the molecular level? Got it. And what's hard is when I tried to look this up, what I found was a bunch of articles that were not science articles, like magazine type articles, or I don't know what they're called when they're on the internet. Yeah. But that type, you know, (laughs) like USA Today or whatever. Yeah. Quoting the TikTok that I had originally found that I didn't really trust, that I wasn't sure about. Right. So I liked, (laughs) I wanted to share that because I do think it shows how, how easily a little bit of misinformation can spread. You know, he shared okay, this is what, he didn't say think. He was like, this is what happens. And then I thought, I'm not sure. So I'm going to go look that up. And it was really hard to find anything other than the, like the first layer of the internet was just people quoting him. Interesting. Yeah. So it, this was one episode that I probably spent maybe four hours researching for. Yeah, dang. I went down a rabbit hole trying to really find what I was looking for four hours, maybe researching and pulling everything together. Wow. So what he said is lactones break down into acids and he said into, you know, two different types of acids. And that's almost true. Um, really lactones and acids will switch back and forth between each other. Mm-hmm. It's the idea of an equilibrium we talked about that idea more in depth on our fluoride episode, if you remember. Okay. Sounds it's, familiar. Yeah. And lactones are just that that's actually sort of a functional group. It's a cyclical compound. It's a ring. Okay. They call it a cycle or a cyclic compound. So it can basically open up into like a straight chain and that straight chain gets some protons added to it and it's called an acid. So basically it could be closed into the ring. That's a lactone open out in a ring, add some protons, there's an acid. And okay. they that reaction, this is interesting because it's reacting with itself to okay. make the ring, to open and close it. We haven't talked about the fact that that can happen really, but uh-huh. molecules can react with themselves to become rings. Interesting. But in this case, 
you know, it's sort of like the ring closes and the ring opens up and that exists in equilibrium. So some of the molecules are closing, some of the molecules are opening. It's sort of going back and forth until there's roughly an even rate of opening and closing happening back and forth. Okay. So for more details on that equilibrium, go back and give that fluoride episode a listen. But you can sort of control the, if you want more of one thing or the other, if you want more of the ring versus more of the open one, you can change conditions. And the thing that confused me a little bit about what he was saying is that in acidic conditions, actually, I think the lactone is favored Hmm. over the open chain acid. Okay. Is the reason I I sort of think of it, although this isn't exactly accurate, I'm like, oh yeah, well, if it's acidic, there's already acid, like in acidic conditions, there's already acid. It doesn't want more acid, so it'll just close up. <laughs> right, I see. Um, it was hard to find in the specific conditions of coffee if that was true, but okay. that's what gave me a little red flag. So that was my initial, I'm not sure if this is happening, you yeah, know? yeah. And so I had to dive deep, like I said, and I couldn't find anything specific that lined up with this idea that lactones break down into acids and make our coffee taste sour. Mm -hmm. But what I did find in food science articles was actually the opposite. Mm. So in all the food chemistry articles I could find, actually... Most people agreed that the progression goes from the acid to the lactone. So from the open chain to a closed chain. And actually the acid is kind of sour, but the closed chain, it's a specific type of acid, chlorog acid, and then it becomes chlorogenic acid lactone. That's what okay. it's called. If you've ever heard those terms in the coffee world. The lactone gives this nice bitter flavor that's like, an enjoyable a little bit, uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> a good bitter, they is what they called it. But then that can break down even further into something that is a bad bitter flavor. Okay. So that's what all of the science articles I could find said is that he's so close because he's sort of just talking about how basically as it sits out, chemical reactions happen and this is the one that happens and that's why our coffee is sour is because there's more acid present after it cools down. It is true to a degree that as your coffee sits out, chemistry is happening, but it's kind of happening in the opposite direction he talked about. Yeah. Um, and the acid, acids aren't usually considered to be bitter. Acids are more considered to be sour. Right. There's like, I don't know who started tasting things, you know, yeah. but yeah. There's a thing that uh, you can remember like for acids and bases and that bases taste bitter and they turn uh, this paper that checks for acidity or basicity deep blue. So basic is a bigger pH, it's bitter and it turns the paper blue and all that starts with B. Right. So when he said, you know, like, oh, I think it's more bitter. I, w I think that's part of the thing that I was like, Room temperature coffee is more bitter. That shouldn't be more acidic. So I was kind of confused. Oh, I see. Yeah. That was just part of what, that was an aside. That was what kind of put me off originally. Yeah. So then I was like, well, <laughs> what's the thing it breaks down into? 
And how does that happen? And why does it happen more with hot coffee than like cold brew coffee? Yeah. You know, all these questions started swirling around in my mind. Well, guess what? That was even harder to find. (laughs) But I did find one. It was a lecture. It was a recorded lecture. It was not a peer-reviewed journal article, but it was a lecture recorded with a food chemist who studies coffee. Okay. And he couldn't share the exact mechanism due to uh, copyright and funding issues, but Mm -hmm. he alluded to the idea of a radical reaction. I think we've talked about radical reactions some, but do you remember much about it? No, I mean, how how related is radical reaction to just radicals, period? Very, very related. Okay, okay. Is it that something ends up being left with fewer electrons than it wants or needs or something? It's That's really close. So a radical is an unpaired electron. Okay. Electrons like to be paired up. Right. And they kind of counterbalance each other out. So they're much more stable when they come in twos. Okay. Like the ants go marching two by two. Right. You know? Hurrah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So, but if there's only one electron, then it starts wreaking havoc. Right. Also why it's called a radical. Yeah. And we talked about that in our benzoyl peroxide episode. And I think a few others like the antioxidant episode. But radical reactions work in three steps. They call it initiation, propagation, and termination. Okay. So the initiation step, a radical is formed usually by heat or light. Okay. The propagation step is really, I think, what makes radicals so interesting. I feel like maybe we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I also teach it in class. So it's very hard for me to know (laughs) if I'm like having deja vu because I taught it in class or because I've taught you it before. But the propagation step is where the radical will go find a non-radical molecule and it will scavenge sort of, it'll steal an electron and make a bond with that. Yeah. So imagine I'm a radical, I have one electron and you're a bond and you have two electrons. Uh That's what a bond is. It's, you know, two electrons being shared usually. Yeah. So I'll steal one of them. And that means now I'm stable and I'm not a radical anymore, but now you are a radical. Right, right. And so that's why it's called propagation. It's propagating itself. It's continuing to make more radicals as it reacts. Right. And then termination is when two radicals find each other. But unless we're in really controlled conditions where there are is a high number of radicals to non-radical species... Termination is less likely. You're a lot more likely to come into contact with a regular old molecule than with a radical reaction. Okay. Okay. So the way I kind of thought of it was like a domino effect. You know, like you have a radical and that makes another 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 radical. So like sort of like as the dominoes fall. Yeah. So that's a radical reaction. Okay. Okay. They tend to keep going unless they're in conditions that that are designed to go for a certain amount of time and make them stop. And they use radical reactions to make plastics, actually, and some other polymers. So they can be very useful, but they just, I would say they're a little difficult to control. Okay. So as I mentioned, it turns out that the lactones are formed from the acid, and then they break down further into something grosser and bitter in a bad way, called phenylindanes. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that in the coffee world? Uh-uh. 
Or if I have, then I didn't remember it, but. Okay. It doesn't really matter. It's just another class of molecules. Um, but they're more bitter than even the, in a bad way than the lactones and the acid. Okay. And these phenylindanes seem to be maybe a newer realization. Like in the last 10 to 15 years, did they say like, oh, phenylindanes appear to be what's making coffee really bitter. Mm. Okay. And it was hard to get information about these, but I found that lecture with the food chemist. I believe it was Dr. Sarah Marquart, Marquart. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but. She had a lecture where she was talking about her research. It was like at a coffee conference. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so that was kind of cool to find. And she mentioned that she's been studying these phenylindanes and she proposed that they may be formed by a radical reaction. Okay. And that was the most I could find. So I'm trying to be very transparent about the fact that this was not a peer reviewed journal article, but it was from a scientist who studies this. Got it. Got it. So I feel it's a trustworthy source. If I find out if more information comes out and that's not right, that's fine. But I wanted to bring you along with this chaotic journey with me. (laughs) (laughs) So what's significant about the fact that it might go by a radical reaction to make these bitterest compounds is that radical reactions keep going. So if the radical reaction is initiated by heat in the roasting process, that is possibly why roasting for too long makes coffee more bitter. Right. Because there's more time for radical reactions, more initiation of radical reactions, and more time for them to propagate. So you get more of these phenylindanes. Okay. Then if you think about the way, you know, molecules work after the roasting process, they'll kind of calm down. They're in the bean. There's, they're not, there's not a lot of opportunities for the molecules to interact. So Mm -hmm. reactions don't usually happen as much if you just have like, a solid state of something sitting out. Right. Because it's just at room temperature, so there's not a lot of energy put into it to move around. But also, it doesn't have a medium to move around in. Right. You know, it's like just solid. It's not, can't come into contact with other things very easily. Right. So there's less reaction than when your coffee's sitting on the shelf. But if you then brew that coffee by a hot brew method... In my mind, this is totally chemistry off the cuff, but Uh in my mind, what I could, what will happen is when you put something in liquid in a solvent of some kind and you heat it up, you're adding energy in for the molecules to move around more. You have heat to initiate a radical reaction again, and there's this medium that they're going to interact in. More heat, molecules are moving around more, so you have heat to initiate the reaction, heat to let the molecules move around more and a medium for the molecules to move around in, which to me made me immediately think, Oh, that radical reaction is going to get going again. Right. Right. So if we hot brew our coffee and the radical reaction gets going again, then more and more of these bitter compounds are forming. Got it. And even, you know, if it's not hot for very long, that's different than if you have a cold brew method. Right, right. Because you'll have a medium for them to move around in, but you're not initiating more because there's not heat. Right. And you're not helping the molecules move around fa- faster because there's not heat. In fact, right. you're making the molecules move around more slowly if you have a cold brew coffee. Totally. So I was like, oh, wait, this really makes sense. And then this is where the second thing that comes into play, the, what you were talking about 
that our taste buds actually function differently at different temperatures where above a certain temperature, we can't taste as well. Literally, we can't taste as many things. Yes. And so it's possible that there is a dual action thing happening where we're getting more radical reaction in our hot brewed coffee Mm -hmm. that is going to make more of these bitter molecules. And then at the same time, as it cools down, it goes into the range where you can taste those bitter molecules really well. Right. And the, the being able to taste different temperatures is something that plays mm-hmm. in the coffee a lot. Yeah. Where when we do like cuppings of new coffees and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They, they say, you know, yeah, go ahead and taste it as soon as you can kind of handle the temperature. But make sure you're continuing to taste it as it cools a bit. Mm. So you're actually getting a good idea of what the coffee tastes like. None of us drink our entire cup of coffee while it's... Right you know, a hundred and except jam 30, 40 degrees who has that fancy cup that keeps it warm. That's true. But even then it still kind of changes, which is probably good reasons for that. But it's probably the reaction continuing to go. But we talk about that all the time in terms of like, you're not really getting a good idea of the coffee if you're only tasting it at one temperature. Right. Um, because it's constantly changing, but they also often say that the thing about it being that hot is that it's also probably the beginning is probably the worst or one of the worst times to actually be able to tell right. what the coffee really tastes like because our taste buds just can't do it. Mm-hmm. And so like a few minutes later is is much better. And those things are still there. It's yeah. just that we weren't able to taste them right. <laughs> or whatever. So that plays into that world a lot. So at least that part seems like something that the coffee world has understood and gotten mm-hmm. that part right so far. And he did talk about that in the TikTok. And I really, mm. the reason why I'm not referencing the exact one is I don't I don't want this guy to feel bad. I think he yeah. I think he probably he's a I think a coffee roaster by trade. And so that part of the information was correct. And also the idea that as it's sitting out, it's reacting, that's correct too. Yeah. But I was like, nobody cares about the exact reaction except for me and my small community of chemists, but that's not right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. Or I guess a better thing is that doesn't seem right. What thing is it's so close, but yeah. Something doesn't quite fit. And so I just wanted to dive into that and try to find the best information that I could about it. Totally. Totally. I, oh, and I just realized since I was talking about that, that I didn't, that I didn't give credit where credit was due. I recently did a lecture in, at Baylor University. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a colleague who works there. She's really nice. Dr. Harridge. And while I was there, a student asked this question and told me about this, uh, this TikTok, which is what made me go listen. And at first I was like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, wait, hang on. Yeah. I have some questions about this. So I wanted to shout out that student, Allison S. She was really excited about it. And I think she even did a project for class about the coffee episodes that we did. So she's, she was really nice. And I wanted to shout her out because I would never have found this without her asking that question. So I really appreciated that. That's awesome. Anyway, back to what I was saying. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that he was really close. It was it was close information to have, but I just wanted to take it a step further and dive into this question with all of this science community here. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say was I can see that cold brew coffee, iced and cold brew coffee, wouldn't have this same 
bitter as it cools down thing happening for two reasons. Okay. One, I already mentioned cold brew coffee won't get the heat into it. Yeah, in the first place. Right. So I think that the reaction is just happening slower with cold brew coffee, honestly. It's probably happening as soon as the you have the water added. And so the medium, you know, is getting the molecules are able to move around a little bit more. Right. And they're able to interact a little bit more. But it's cold. So it's like they're, you're taking heat out of it. So the, they're moving less than they would in a hot situation. So that's why I think it lasts longer right. in the fridge. Right. And you're not getting that second heating where the initiation step happens. Okay. And there is evidence to back up that cold brew coffee and hot brew coffee have very different molecules present. Mm. So that's interesting. Yeah. With iced coffee, which is hot coffee brewed onto a cold setting. Right. So it's immediately being cooled down. Yep. That immediately slows down the reaction. But also both of those coffees are served on ice, which takes our taste buds to the other end of the spectrum, also lessening our ability to taste. Oh, right. Right. So that's my suspicion is like, well, it being cold, you're taking energy out. Mm -hmm. And that means the molecules are moving less. Reactions go slower when they're colder. Mm Mm-hmm. I get. I mean, I can't. <laughs> I can't think of a time where that's not true. But maybe in general, yeah. If you have less energy, the molecules are moving less, so the reactions aren't able to move. Like the molecules aren't moving around as much, so the reactions aren't able to happen as effectively. Mm-hmm. But also, it comes into play again with our biology that our taste buds, when it's cold, they are also a little bit less effective, just like when it's hot. Okay. So I think those are the two things that make it to where iced coffee and cold brew coffee don't have the same extent of the this is bitter as it cools down experience. Interesting. Isn't that? Yeah, it's crazy. There's so much there. I know. And I I did also want to say this is probably even more complex than I'm making it. Right. You know, I, I tried to boil it down to something that was, I was pretty confident that it was accurate based on the sources I had and something that was a teachable chemistry lesson. But there's so many molecules that make up coffee and there's so many reactions that are probably happening in addition to this one. Mm -hmm. And we haven't even fully elucidated this reaction mechanism. So that's why I said it's a little bit of chemistry off the cuff and it's definitely simplified down. Yeah. But I think this is a good informed idea of what's actually happening when our coffee cools down. Right. Right. So yeah. Isn't that fun? Yeah. That's crazy. I had a great time. I love a good challenge and I got really motivated to to do this one. So I really, really enjoyed this a lot. Yeah. And I definitely wondered this myself. I am committed to always finish drinking the cup of coffee, even if it's getting cool, but I also am starting in a much better place where mm-hmm. I'm getting the some of the best coffee I can get my hands on, which means that even though, yeah, it does taste a little less good when it's gotten down to room temp or something, it doesn't turn bad. It doesn't turn like... Yeah. But I have had coffee, like say gas station coffee. For my time, <laughs> yeah. Just as an example. Sorry, gas stations. But uh, <laughs> it's actually kind of better when it's really hot and you can't taste it as well. Mm-hmm. And then the cooler it gets, the, better, the more you're tasting it. And that's actually, in that case, a bad thing. Yeah, some coffees actually... They have different compounds. You know, there's so much to the variety and origin and stuff that 
they taste better when they're a little bit cooled down. Is yeah. some of the stuff I was reading, but that was beyond the scope of this episode, so I left it. But right. I also had had the thought that even though the reaction slows way down when you put it in its solid state, it's probably still happening. Yeah. So if you freshly roast your coffee and then consume it rapidly after that, which you do, yeah, you're much more likely to have less of the radical reactions happening on the shelf. Right, right. You know, so the faster you consume it, the less it goes, quote unquote, bad by making more of these bitter taste molecules. But also, it seems like there's a little bit of evidence that the bitter molecules might be part of what has a good antioxidant effect. Hmm. (laughs) But I didn't get into that because I was like, nope, nope, that's another episode. Yeah. So, but they thought the phenylindanes might be part of what makes coffee actually kind of good for your health. Interesting. I know. Huh. But then I was like, no, 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 we can't, we can't, I can't tell you how many tabs I had open, like <laughs> trying to get good information. I ended up using, I think like 15 sources. Let me count. Oh my gosh. 17 sources I ended up using for this. And I had more than that, but I tried to distill it down only to the ones that actually informed exactly what I was doing. Right, right. So, so yeah. Do you want to take a stab at telling it back to me? Sure. Okay. So, when we brew a cup of coffee. Yep. It's super hot at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But, and when that happened, when we were brewing the coffee, there's lots of energy there. There's lots of things we've just done. Mm-hmm. And this radical reaction has started at that point, correct? It starts when you roast it. When you're roasting, but then we've sort of... Then it kind of slows down. Slowed down because the beans are at room temp, hanging out in a cupboard. Yeah. So it might still be happening. Um, I mean, I think it's likely that it's still happening in a yeah. slow way. We've ramped it up a bunch by introducing a bunch of heat. And getting Uh a medium for everything to be moving around in, correct? Yes. I mean, most chemistry reactions that I do, we put it on heat. Right. A lot of them. Like in the lab, we heat them up. There's a few exceptions, but. Let's just say heat's on, right? (laughs) Heat's on. The heat is on. And we're brewing this coffee. There's heat. It's ramping up this radical reaction. Mm -hmm. And so a bunch of these radicals, these electrons are bouncing around and they're starting sort of chain reactions everywhere they go. Right. Yeah. So, um, when I think of it, it's like a molecule that for some reason has like one little wayward radical, like Uh one little wayward electron that doesn't have a buddy. And so anywhere it goes, whatever it interacts with, it's going to steal an electron from that and then make another one of itself and steal a reaction from that and make another one of itself. So it's like converting as it goes. I mean, we don't know the whole mechanism, but converting as it goes, lactones into these other things. Okay. So it's doing that. So when we're first drinking our cup of coffee, Mm -hmm. at the temperature we can start drinking it at, we're mostly, in terms of flavors like that, we're tasting, there's a good amount of acids there. It's this sour, not quite bitter, depending on the way you want to use those words, but like that might be the a slightly more accurate way to put it. So what I, my understanding was, is that there's chlorogenic acids that during the roasting process Mm -hmm. change into lactones. Mm -hmm. I think there's still chlorogenic acids there. 
Right. But they uh, there's a lot of lactones too. Uh-huh. And even in the roasting process, you can start to get some of the phenylindane. So okay. it's like the acids are the kind of sour. They're most present when the coffee is green. Mm-hmm. And then this is my understanding. And then as it roasts, it, there's more of the lactones present. And mm-hmm. then as it goes beyond the peak roasting time, mm-hmm. further roasting or brewing, that's when more of the conversion from the lactones to the phenylindanes okay. happens. That was my understanding. So basically our cup of coffee already has are all three there. Yes, that was but, what I that was my understanding. But as the coffee goes from hot to cool and mm-hmm. as more radicals are bouncing around and causing more chain reactions and stuff like that. The so that sort of ratio you could say yeah is continually changing. Yep. Fewer acids, more acids turning into lactones. Yep. And then lactones turning into phenylindane. <laughs> yeah, I hope that's how it's pronounced. I could have been saying it wrong this whole time. <laughs> it, it reminds me of this scene in the movie Fletch, which is like an old '80s comedy with Chevy Chase that my family's watched ever since I was a kid, where he is often trying to pretend to be somebody else so he can just get information. He's an <laughs> investigative journalist. But sometimes he just is not on uh, on his toes as well as he should be. <laughs> and so one of the times he calls somebody, he's trying to f- pretend to be somebody to get some information. And they're like, I'm sorry, and who are you? And he goes, oh, this is Mr. Sinalindindindindin. <laughs> Phenylindanes makes me think of that. Sinalindindin. It could be phenylindanes, not phenylindanes. Like maybe I'm hitting the L too hard, mm. but that's like roughly how it's spelled. Right. So, right. you know, coffee community... Come at me, correct me, and that'll be fine. I mean, sounds like you're coming at them to correct <laughs> them. So, just kidding. Yeah, um, I d- that's true. I really, I feel bad. I, I've never made such a direct. No, no, no. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think it's perfect. I think it's great. I. So the, those things are happening. Yeah. They've already actually really started in the grocery, grocery process, but yes. Once we've got our cup of coffee and it's cooling, the mm-hmm. the amounts that we're are in there at the molecular level of acids to lactones to phenylindanes mm-hmm. that is slowly changing uh while the coffee cup of coffee is just sitting there yes and that would mean so you take a sip right at the beginning and then you walk away and forget your cup of coffee which you know um even i do I, a lot yep even, <laughs> I do it, even though i love coffee i do that a lot and then you come back and it tastes very different a mm-hmm. lot of things have continued to react continue to change and those are the things that we taste Yep. when we take a sip. Yes. Um, and am I missing any of the big things? I didn't go into the like shape of the molecule stuff that you're talking about. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Do you want to do a quick review of, of how radical reactions work? Those three steps. I think that's good to talk about too, because that part really explains why this reaction keeps going even while it's sort of on your shelf or why it's sitting out. Right. So, the radical reaction is starting with there being a a radical that's bouncing around as an electron on its own. The first step is how the radical gets formed. Do you remember that? Nope. Initiation. Dang it. So initiation, that's okay. You don't have to remember everything. I remember termination. This, Yep. This is an authentic learning process. I remember the last one. <laughs> I remember the one I heard the most recently. <laughs> you get you've gotten a lot of things thrown at you today so initiation is it will it's literally the bond breaking apart so you have a good bond that's like 
you know, two electrons being shared and that heat or light can initiate, depending on what molecule you have, it will break it up in a, they call it a homogeneous break. So each side gets one radical Okay. instead of the two electrons being shared. So that's the initiation step. Okay. Okay. Got it. Next one. Transubstantiation, right? <laughs> no. Is step two. Is that a religious word? <laughs> no, I think it's chemistry. Uh, <laughs> is the, the step that you'd call going and taking one from another one? Yeah. Do you remember what it's called? It's a plant word. Propagation. Yep. So it just keeps making more of itself. Yes. And so if you have several that initiated and several that are reacting, that might seem like, oh, well, you still only have one radical mm. because, you know, there's just one radical, whatever. But each molecule that was a radical will be changed. You right, know, like right. if I start out as one whole Melissa and I get cut in half and I'm only half a Melissa, so I still half of jam, then now I'm a half Melissa, half jam. Right. Right. And then you'll go steal half of whoever you can find. And then you're half jam, half the other person. And yeah. so every molecule along the chain is changed. Every molecule that becomes a radical and is not a radical anymore has yeah. been transformed. It keeps being the musical chairs effect. There keeps being <clears throat> a person without a chair. And then you keep the person without a chair keeps going and looking. They find mm -hmm. a different game yeah, musical chairs. Mm -hmm. They steal a chair. And then someone in that, the kid doesn't have one and they're moving on. Yeah. Keeps it never resolves unless it does, unless something can terminate it. Right. Mm -hmm. And can, can actually take that extra electron bouncing around pair it with, with another one mm -hmm. that, that isn't also taking it away from another one. Yes. Right? Yeah. If the, if two radicals find each other. Right. Right. But even that molecule has been changed. Right. So it's kind of chaos because every single molecule that has a radical comes out changed. It's right. not like you escape unscathed because you got another electron. That electron is attached to something. Right, right. So it's like <clears throat> bringing stuff along with it. Bringing, oh, maybe a good a good idea is like a divorce. Mm. Divorce is the initiation step. Uh-huh. And so now you have two single people that are, you know, it's not really the they they've been severed from something, their family yeah. or whatever. And so now if one of those people gets remarried, then now those kids, you know, from each marriage come together and you've got a new family. Right. And then if that couple then gets divorced, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Then the next group, they, all the kids are coming together again. So it's like you don't, you're not just interacting with right. just the electrons. You're bringing the molecule that's attached to the, the yeah. radical too. The history it matters. Mm -hmm. it, it affects what happens next. Yeah. It's not just like a, we're not talking about just a free electron with no baggage and no history yes, yeah. and no whatever. Probably the splitting a person in half was the best one right. because it's like half Melissa, half jam. The, and then, there's still some molecules there. It's just, yeah. Other, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that, I think that step, that radical reaction is important because the idea that the radical reaction will keep going indefinitely until the unlikely event of it finding another radical, which there's way less radicals than normal intact molecules. Right. That's why it keeps going, even though things are cooling down, you know, yeah. it can just keep going and going that like that type of reaction 
doesn't have a natural end point. Got it. Except for the termination, which is less likely. Right. But I think that's important to the idea too. Got it. And a good chemistry lesson that that type of reaction exists. Yeah. A little chemistry lesson for you. And there's almost nothing we can do about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can keep your coffee cold, maybe. I think in the like chain reaction aspect, even the like trying to get to radicals to find each other. It's like there's so many, like you were saying, there's so many things to react with. It's like, Mm -hmm. could you get all of these radicals to find other radicals (laughs) and stop it? Nope. The chaos will continue. I think what they do is like in labs, they really control the number of initiators that are present. And, you know, like they really try to control mm. the conditions for the reaction so that there is an end point. Right, right. But, and you can have different molecules that form radicals that are more or less selective, but that's, you know, that's yeah. for your OCHEM 2 class, not <laughs> for this podcast. Okay, great. Well, that was really fun. I had a great time researching this episode. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And you had to look at so much stuff. I did. I looked at so much stuff. I learned a lot. I didn't know about the taste buds thing. So that was fun. It was it was a good challenge. I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed being able to bring y'all along with me. So that being said, have you been enjoying anything this week, Jim? I have been enjoying anything. Or this lately, week. I guess, you know, in general. It yeah. doesn't have to just be this week. Yeah, I, I have been. Thanks for asking. Um, it'd be sad if I hadn't been enjoying anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would you be know? a little sad. You're um, like, I'm not happy with my family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I you mentioned this in our Q and R, but I have been waiting to like sort of officially be able to use this in one of our episodes about the fun thing we share at the end of the week or at the end of the episode. Uh until it was fully actually operational, but I've been working on getting solar panels on my house for a while now. Mm-hmm. This is like whole process actually started back in May. Um, and finally they have been installed and everything's been checked out and they have been given the okay to be operated. And the power company has connected them to the, all this, all this stuff that's happened. Mm-hmm. So many things people had to check and double check and different stakeholders that needed to like approve stuff. Mm-hmm. And now we are producing solar power. <laughs> You're producing it. Are you giving it back to the grid if there's overages? Correct. Yeah. Wow. Most days during the day, we'll be producing more than we could use up in the wow. moment. So Here's we're a sending question. it to the grid. Does yeah. the power company pay you for the for the electricity you generate? Yes, they do. And wow. It varies from place to place. City of Denton, very solar friendly. They pay you, they pay me the same amount that I have to pay to use power from wow. them. Wow. So it's all equal. So I, for the most part, it's basically the way it works. So like at nighttime, I have to use the power from the grid. Mm-hmm. I didn't do the batteries thing. That's a long story, but I didn't do that. We don't need to really hear for the most part. So I'm using power from the grid. Mm-hmm. In the day, I'm producing more energy than I can really use. So I'm mm-hmm. selling it to the grid. So basically I actually produce more, but the way it nets out and shakes out in the end mm-hmm. of things I'm actually most of the time producing more than I need. And so I actually don't have to pay the city for energy because I'm giving them, I'm selling more to them than I'm buying. So do you get a check at the end of the month? Now that I don't know. I don't think so. In fact, my thought is maybe it'll just be credits that stay there. Oh yeah. So like in the summer or something. In the summer when I'm using up, when I'm using more. More at night. Yeah. So does that mean it's better for you to do things during the day? 
That's a good question. I think and the way people think about it is more just like across a year yeah. kind of thing because <clears throat> seasons are extreme. They change yeah, and stuff. Um, but there might be some strategy there. I'm not sure. Well, wow, that's amazing. Props to you, Jim. Way to be environmentally loving. Yeah, it's pretty fun and cool. And I'm not just a nerd, so I like to look at the numbers of like how much we produced and looking at. Yeah, he texted stuff. us the first time they were generating power and sent me a picture of his something I've never looked at before. One of those power meters. Yeah, <laughs> it was the one of like how much we've generated. So yeah. it's funny because it was like zero 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 one four. You know. I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then that was kind of, <laughs> that was it. Very cool. So that's mine. Mm-hmm. Right, what about you? What's been with you? Well, you already heard about this. So this is more for the listeners. So I, I'm pretty open about the fact that I struggle with ADHD. But something I don't ha- I talk about as much is I also have anxiety and depression that I deal with as well. Mm-hmm. Especially since my mom died. And... Exercise is a really good way to treat all of those. Yeah. (laughs) But ice skating got to be too expensive and, you know, inflation. And it's a long drive down to where ice skating happens. And we've just got a lot of other responsibilities now that I can't make that happen. Right. So I knew I needed something to exercise and to help treat my mind Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. and like my mental and emotional and physical, spiritual health, all of that. So I... Took the plunge and started a kickboxing class. Nice. So I have a membership there. I can do unlimited classes a month and it's much more affordable than ice skating lessons would be, which, you know, I love ice skating. So I'm sad about that, but it's close by. It's like a five minute drive from my house and I can do it every morning to get started with my day. Nice. And so I'm really excited about my kickboxing lessons and I'm hoping it will kind of help me get out of a little rut I've been in lately with my brain and my um, mental health. So, yeah. yeah. <coughs> so that's really exciting. Stay tuned for more information about that. <clears throat> I'm really, I've heard that they do club nights where when it gets dark outside, because it's like windows in the front of the uh-huh. gym, it's dark outside on, on weeknights now. Uh-huh. And they'll do like, like club music with like flashing lights type Uh thing or like LEDs (laughs) or whatever. And I'm like, okay, that sounds really cute and fun. Like a party instead of just a workout. Yeah. And my first class was really fun. It went by really quickly and I like learning a new skill and being around other people when I work out. So I'm really excited about that. And I just wanted to tell y'all. So yay. That's awesome, dude. Good for you. Uh, One, it's just fun to try new things. And two, just trying something to see if it'll help, you know, like, a lot of evidence to suggest that it would, but definitely sometimes we need to shake stuff up. It's like, yeah, physical activity has a huge benefit to our physical bodies and our mental health, but also, you know, may need to try something different. Yeah. It's like, maybe I've done this for a long time and I'm having a hard time making that work my schedule. Why not change it up? Try something new. And yeah. I used to, even being on campus, you have to walk into campus to work and you have to, yeah. you know, there's a, there was a lot of like physical activity built into my day. Yeah. But when I switched to remote work, I don't have to go on campus very much now. I mean, I can, but I don't have to. Yeah. And so it's, it's just, it was hard for me to even leave the house mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and this makes me get up and leave the house. And yeah. so I'm trying to sort of schedule my day. Like I wake up, I go to kickboxing I come home to the office instead of come home to home. You know, I get up, have my whole morning routine and then I go into work. Yeah. 
So I think that will help me have um, a little bit more structure to my day. Yeah. And I think it will be good for my mental health too. get in a routine, see people. So I'm really excited for that. That's great. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for being excited for me. And thanks for being a coffee lover. I knew you'd be so excited about this episode and all of our listeners. And thanks to Allison for your idea to do this podcast because I had a great time. And thank you for teaching us. Thanks for, you know, you can always count on me to be a coffee lover. <laughs> yeah. Be interested in a coffee topic. I was so excited to tell you. I was like, <laughs> ah, I can't wait to tell yeah. Jim about this. <laughs> Just plays right into my, you know, it's like I'm right in the demographic of this. It's <laughs> like chemistry and coffee overlapping. I'm into I'm into it. And I think a lot of our, our listeners are as well. So if you have an idea like Allison did for a topic of chemistry in everyday life, please reach out to us at chemforyourlife.com. That's chem. F-O-R, your life to share your thoughts and ideas. For that to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the cost of making it, go to patreon.com slash chemforyourlife or tap the link in our show notes to join our super cool community of patrons. If you're not able to do that, you can help us by subscribing to your favorite podcast app or rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts. That also helps us share chemistry with even more people. This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson. And Jam Robinson is our producer. This episode was made possible by our financial supporters on Patreon. It means so much to us that you want to help make chemistry accessible for even more people. Those supporters are Avishai B, Brie M, Brian K, Chris and Claire S, Chelsea B, Derek L, Emerson W, Hunter R, Jacob T, Christina G, Lynn S, Melissa P, Nicole C, Stephen B, Shadow, Suzanne S, Sam N, Stephen B, and Timothy P. Thanks again for everything you do to make chemistry for your life happen. We'd also like to give a special thanks to our team of reviewers who have checked this episode out before publishing. And if you'd like to learn more about today's chemistry lesson, check out the references for this episode on our show notes or on our website. Mm-hmm.